You're listening to a CFMS podcast. Welcome to the Life as a Doctor to Be podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the speakers during these episodes are their own and do not reflect the express opinions of the CFMS. I don't know. I think it was in first year and I was talking to our um, our undergrad dean and I forget what we were talking about exactly, but I think it was something to do with admissions. And we were just kind of joking and like I knew, I knew her quite well or very well. And, you know, we talked quite openly and I made a comment about forging my dad's signature when I was in elementary school on some forms um, because it was really easy to do. It was just like simple. And she was horrified. Welcome back to another episode of Life as a Doctor to Be podcast. So for this episode, we have uh, myself, Karine, and also Lucas. So we're here for our 11th episode of this series. This episode, uh, we chose to focus this episode on professionalism. So as most of you already know, from the day we get admitted to medical school, we are told uh, that we are expected to display our best professional behavior from, uh, from then on. So we thought it would definitely be interesting to try to see how we address or approach this challenge and how it has been impacting our lives inside and um, outside of medicine. So to start us off, I thought it'd be interesting to see what what exactly professional professionalism means to both of us. So do you want to start us off, Lucas? Right. So... Um... I guess I did some reading. I read your description. I read, you know, the Royal College description and some other things. And I actually looked at a, a paper or two um, that I've read recently about professionalism. But I, I'm not sure I resonate strongly with any of the definitions I read, uh, just because a lot of them feel really ambiguous. Uh, for me, I guess it kind of came down to ha- being how we're supposed to operate within the community and the the profession and. The question I, I posed to myself um, as I was figuring this out and as I'm thinking about coming through through med school was, uh, you know, in terms of professionalism, who are we and, and who do we need to become to succeed in the profession? And that's kind of um, something I've thought a bit about with, with medicine and as we move forward, as we form our professional identity, I suppose. So what do you think? Um, yeah, myself as well. Like I've... I've gone through formal definitions and like I was saying how I was finishing working on my residency application. So I've had to become familiar with the candidates role and try to integrate them in my in my letters and such. But their definition either didn't quite like uh, I, I didn't quite understand or identify with their definition. You know, they talk about like vague things like being committed to the health and well-being of individual patients and in society or um, how we are accountable to the profession and the maintenance of personal health. So I chose to scratch all of that and just reflect some more. And to me, I think I perceive professionalism as being an attitude that I should be adopting in my professional life. It's kind of part of a work ethic for me. So I see it as the best behavior I can have that will most that will be the, the, the one that's most likely to lead me on my path to success. Yeah. Okay, so real quick, what are all the can men's roles? Oh my god. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just like <laughs> since you said you're studying them, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna throw you on the spot. <sighs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so yeah, it, anyway, is I, I I like kind of where you're going with that. Um and I, I think it's interesting. I commented on who who do we need to become or who we're supposed to, you know, how we're supposed to operate. And I think you said how we should or what we're expected to do. And I I wonder, do you, do you ever feel kind of pressured or, or do you have trouble with that, uh, that side of things? Like you're feeling pushed in, uh, to become someone that you're not necessarily, if that makes sense. It's a good question. I, I, I don't think that I, I necessarily have to split my personality or my identity in two because of this expectation of being professional, but it for sure has added like a stress 
and a lot of worries about whether I am adjusting correctly to people's expectations, to the faculty's expectations, whether, you know, my, my image is appropriate, whether I'm going to get in trouble or not, whether mm-hmm. this is the best attitude I, I have on clinical rotations, and if it's the one that's going to get me the best evaluations and whatnot. So there's a lot of overthinking, I would say. But ultimately, at the end, I think I, I try to stay true to myself and just try to reconcile these things with uh, with my life. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, no, no. That, that uh, yeah, that resonates with me. Uh, I think it's hard, especially when there's there's big differences in, in how people think you should operate and what they think is professional. Um, the thing that came to mind as you as you were talking is um, I had a. I don't know how to say it other than like a bit of a, I butted heads with our associate dean uh, a while ago, just like disagreeing over some things. I I may have been a little too strong in how, you know, how I stated my opinion. Um, And they didn't necessarily appreciate that. And we, you know, like I I didn't get in trouble, but they would have liked me to be more tactful. And then uh, I ran into someone else and they, they said they'd heard I'd been, uh, pushing, pushing the boundaries or, or something like that, uh, and actually encouraged me. And like, they, they were like, yeah, like keep pushing and trying to change things. And, you know, they encouraged me with the work that I was doing and what I was trying to do. And so it's, it's hard, right? Like to figure that. So then trying to reconcile that. Okay. Like was my email unprofessional? Was it not unprofessional? Was it like, you know, obviously it could have been more tactful and things like that. And, uh, I, I find it difficult anyway to to navigate some of those things, especially when you're you're getting different things from different people. Wow. Well, that was really nice of that person, but I definitely agree that it, there's a lot of self doubt that comes with being professional. And when you were talking about difficulties like navigating the system, it just made me think about how I myself have difficulty navigating, like figuring out what the hierarchy is in the hospital, yeah. and whether that quest to kind of explore it is done professionally from my part because you know when you show up to the hospital no one teaches you um what the hierarchy is who you should be talking to who you're allowed to talk to (laughs) who you should be reviewing with who's the one that's responsible of you or you know who you should be reporting to so the, 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 there's like a whole system of having the staff first and then the fellow and then residents and then within residents you have the junior resident the senior and so on and so forth and I myself have kind of struggled uh, to figure that out and I've had like little funny adventures as well you know like I've when I first started I've called a resident by doctor and then their last name and they were kind mm-hmm. of so like taken aback and they were like ew don't do that <laughs> So it's it's kind of hard to figure out where these people stand, whether they're casual about the structure or whether they're more conventional, and that also affects the way you should behave and carry yourself uh, carry yourself around them. Um, another instance is, for example, like when well, I'm I'm in Quebec, right? So we speak French, and usually the French pronouns we use are vous and tu. So tu is a lot more um, casual, informal, whereas vous is usually the one that you go with like you go with first to address someone more formally and more respectfully so when i first started clickship i just addressed a resident by doctor you know blah 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 and then woo 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 <laughs> and they're like stop right there karen like stop <laughs> first of all i'm not that old and second of all you can just call me with tu. it's totally fine so that was a funny instance you know me clumsily trying to figure out how i should um how I should behave myself with these uh, people. Do you have any any interesting stories? More interesting stories? I I think so, but maybe. The uh the naming is is interesting. It's something I've had some trouble with. Like some people will get you to use their first name, right? Like and I I'm so used to using people's people's first names that I've I've gone wrong on a few occasions where I've called people by their like leadership within MedEd by their first name um, because that's kind of what I've been lots of other people tell me to do that uh, and it's got not gone over well and on a few occasions so then I've kind of shifted back to calling everybody by like doctor so-and-so but then I'll get you know kind of people the same way where it's like you know just use my first name like that's weird don't use you know don't call me doctor or whatever so I, I find that hard to to figure out 
by email, I pretty much always, well, except for with a few people, I always just default to doctor, even like I've been mm-hmm. emailing somebody recently who I didn't know, and they started using their first name and their like signature. And they were, you know, saying from this person, I just like default to just like doctor, just to make sure. Um, but it always feels weird, especially when I'm emailing someone that I, I uh, talk to by first name. Who's like, I'm thinking of one person in particular who's kind of senior leadership. And then I'll CC someone else who's not. Um, but I'll use, I'll call them Dr. So and so. And it feels so weird to, you know, call this like higher up person by the first name and somebody else. I've only had one slip up with patients though. <laughs> Wait, tell us more. What do you mean? Well, it's just like with my my cousin in law, I spent some a fair amount of time shadowing her and I'd never called her doctor anything. Uh oh. she's a She's first year practice family med and I shadowed her like a year or something ago when she was a resident. Um, but I've known her for a long time as just like her first name. And so yeah. I always call her by her first name and I called her by that a few times in what, like walking in before I clicked when we were shadowing people and I felt really bad about it. Um, is especially, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I've gotten called out for that. See, that's an interesting point. Like, having to be professional somehow affects the way you relate to others and affects your already existing relationships as well you know have you had do you think like professionalism is preventing you from creating new friendships or relationships um the way you would want them to be yes and no i i I don't think necessarily like i tend to to treat people more just like people like i've known a lot of people in the past in like leadership roles who are, you know, just as flawed as, as me. And and so I, I guess I don't, I don't put people on a pedestal just because they have a, a, a cool title. Um, so I tend to treat them a little bit more normal, which I guess has gotten me in trouble a few times. Uh, so I don't think it affects me too much. Like I don't, I tend to, if anything, err on the side of not professional enough other than like the emails that I, I mentioned there. What about you? Um, For my part, I think, like, as I've progressed through clerkship, I started noticing how some residents would be very close with staff members on, like, first name basis and actually being friends. And I myself kind of questioned whether I would be as comfortable kind of having mm-hmm. this close relationship with um, residents or staff members especially if I I work directly with them and Mm -hmm. if there's like a power dynamic. I think so far I try to keep these, like I try to keep work relationships separate from like friendlier ones. Um, And if I think about like residents I'm friends with, like none of them I've worked with directly and none of them have, like I've never reviewed, I've never had to review with them or have had them like, submit an evaluation for me so I think that's like where my comfort zone is but yeah I can't speak about other experiences where I've had to um, befriend someone that was also evaluating me I think I would feel kind of uncomfortable in those settings but yeah I was also thinking about like when staff members tell me oh you can just call me by my first name <laughs> for some reason I never feel comfortable I oh just interesting on, okay I just keep on saying doctor doctor so and so I don't know if you would you, you feel more comfortable doing like oh I jump all over that as soon as somebody says I can use their first name I just I just like, oh yeah <laughs> yeah like that sounds great it's less syllables it's easier like sounds sounds great yeah. yeah, I don't know. And part of me kind of wonders because like I've already spoken about this in a previous episode, but like I, I grew up in like an Asian culture. Mm-hmm. So where where like we respect a lot the order and we try to stay very humble and um, self-effacement is kind of like a big thing in our culture. So I think that kind of shaped the ways I relate to people in the work setting, which is why I, I'm, I think I have a lot more trouble kind of being flexible with these um with these boundaries and the ways we should address people higher up in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So I guess, I guess for me, it's probably the opposite, right? Like I just, I don't know, small town, like rural Saskatchewan. I didn't, we just kind of, everybody's kind of the same. Uh, so like, I've never, I never, I didn't have a lot of kind of more professional fancy like interactions until, until starting medicine. And so um, 
it's just kind of the norm to to to, to not respect the hierarchy as much i suppose like i i don't know if, if that's what i'm saying but like not be quite as deferential uh for a title which is kind of interesting it for sure is to see how our backgrounds and identities affect the way we navigate the medical system um have you had any situations where kind of your your identity or like background has um, either favorably or unfavorably affected your experiences I, I have my story, the one that I like made note of in the notes. So this is, this is, I don't know, I think it was in first year and I was talking to our, um, our undergrad Dean and I forget what we were talking about exactly, but I think it was something to do with admissions and we were just kind of joking and like, I, I knew her quite well or very well. And, you know, we talked quite openly and I made a comment about forging my dad's signature when I was in elementary school <laughs> on some forms um, because it was really easy to do. And it was just like simple. And she was horrified. Like she was just like <laughs> mortified that I was signing signatures. And to me, it wasn't, it wasn't like abnormal that some, like it sounds bad, but like as, as a kid, I don't know that that wasn't unusual for people to just kind of like forge their parents' signatures on. Oh yeah. On I know a lot stuff. of kids who do that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, that she was horrified and then made a comment about how she hoped that I didn't forge things on my admissions application and I was like oh my goodness like I'm getting like questioned about the validity of my application and I came in through a, a like a diversity stream where they had to interview a lot of my like old family friend or like my family friends from growing up and stuff like that so there's a lot more subjectivity through that and so I was like oh my god and I panicked for a minute and then I think the, the way I kind of ended it was just being like, I'm the, the nice thing about not lying and like of not cheating is that you don't have to worry when somebody questions you, but like it was super uncomfortable. Um, whereas like, and I've had a few of those interactions where I've used, whether it's more casual slang, like I have, I have like four different dialects of English that I speak, right? Like I have my gym, my gym bro <laughs> dialect and I have my, rural Saskatchewan dialect and like my home and you know like we have we have like different different ways we speak and I've I've let that filter in sometimes and and it's not always been super well received I suppose uh, but it, it's accidents that happen and it's just part of who you are <laughs> yeah it happens yeah, to for, everybody yeah for the most part as as dramatic as that felt at the time um it, it didn't you know, negatively impact anything as far as I know and, and everything went, uh, went well. So, oh gosh, yeah. But yeah, I feel you like I'd be the type of person to rethink that moment for the rest of the day. Oh, and... I mean, it's, it's three years ago, right? Or two, years, <laughs> two and a half years ago. Like I'm, I, I remember it. I remember where I was standing. <laughs> it's not like I haven't forgotten. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you remember every detail of that moment. Yeah, yeah. 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 For me, I also have an interesting story about how like, culture identity can kind of affect the way you carry yourself and how you're being perceived. So another experience I had um, was early on in my training. So, you know, early on, I was kind of very intimidated, still trying to figure out the hierarchy, didn't really understand what my role was, didn't even know where I should be standing in a room, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, I had a supervisor kind of misinterpret my my humility or my 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 tendency to not like to avoid confrontation to kind of respect the order in place and kind of be more of like an observer um so they kind of misinterpreted that as like a lack of interest and they've confronted me on it and I was kind of quite surprised or taken aback by this type of comment because you know I grew up in this I with the Asian culture I've grown up with what I was doing was is actually kind of seen as a sign of respect right so I was quite surprised by the comments and obviously early on in my training, it's kind of daunting and difficult to want to confront this authority figure and try to justify myself. Um, but it did, me it did make me reflect, like as I look back, I realized that each supervisor will have, will come from a different background, will have different preferences and working styles as a result. Mm -hmm. And, you know, good behavior and performance for one might not be the best for another supervisor so um from that experience I think I, I've 
the the take home message for me was that I should, you know, I've learned to take comments with a grain of salt. And despite criticism or comments that might like kind of rub me in the wrong way, I, I still work to try to stay true to my identity and cultural background. Yeah, yeah. I think you're good. I don't think that was. <laughs> I think you're good. I hope so. It made me. Well, okay, so well, it made me think of a few different things. But the one, the one thing I thought of is like the the difference, difference in thoughts was um, MMIs. I think you've heard this story, uh, but I'm going to do it again <laughs> anyway. So for MMIs, I'd never actually no, I, I'd had a suit, but only for high school grad, and I just rented it for like a day. I put it on once, and then you know brought it back. But anyway, for MMIs, I was told that I had to get a suit. You know, I had to had to go and get one, and I didn't know really what to get so I just went to uh I went to a suit rental place I don't know I don't know what you call them and and said I, I need a suit and so they set me up and I got whatever I got and I went to um MMIs and everything fit well and it was good and I was excited and then I ran into someone and they were like and you're wearing a three-piece suit why are you wearing a three-piece <laughs> suit nobody wears three pieces and I was like what I didn't know that oh my goodness like is that bad <laughs> is three-piece bad uh, and I, I panicked a little bit because I was worried. Like, is it gonna? Are they gonna think that I'm wearing the wrong thing? Is it unprofessional? Whatever. Um, and I, I think stuff like that's so interesting because we, we just we don't know, and everybody's expected to wear a certain thing. But, um, but I think coming now at this point, looking back, like I don't think anybody probably noticed or cared. You know, it, mm-hmm. unless you're really sloppy, the the variation doesn't really matter that much. The, the other examples that we mentioned before, the, the knocking on the door. Do you knock on the door? <laughs> How many times do you knock? You know, what do you do when you go in the room? And, and like all these little things that are just like hilarious to think about now, but uh, seem so dramatic in terms of like how to act professional at the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of outfits, it makes me think about how like, to this day, I'm still not sure if what I'm wearing is necessarily appropriate or not, given I see so many different people do it differently, you know, for something as simple as scrubs, you know, like when we start our clerkship training, we're told, okay, the shirt of your scrub is kind of, it has to be tucked into your pants of the scrubs and they need to be like of appropriate size and your shoes need to be closed and like you're not allowed to wear anything under your scrubs if it's showing, you know. But then I start my rotations and I see like, (laughs) I see different people wear their scrubs differently. I see like people wearing leggings (laughs) under their scrubs or even leggings in like normal clinical rotations. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, am I allowed? Should I do it tomorrow? It looks so comfy. But like, what if it reflects in my evaluation? And same thing goes for like jeans, for instance, you know, like you see people wear jeans and you're like, wait, am I can I be this casual? Like, am I, am I overdressed for this thing? So much self-doubt. Oh God. I, um, yeah, I, I just thought of another thing from like pre pre-medicine. So, uh, I remember when I was talking to some people who were, were in second year, first year or something, they were helping us go through MMIs. I remember asking one guy, like if, if there's a certain dress code during the day and like if I could wear shorts, because at the time I wore shorts <laughs> every day. Like every day, it didn't matter if it was minus 20 outside. I walked to the bus stop in short. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Like I walked to the bus stop in, in shorts and wear shorts. That guy. <laughs> yeah, I was that guy. Right. So anyway, I was, I was actually worried. I was like, can I wear shorts? And he was like, oh yeah, you're, you're probably, you're probably okay for the most part. Um, and, uh, that took me a while though. Like first year I went and bought a bunch of like Lululemon kind of stretchy dress pants so that I could have something that was comfortable, but um looked better and then slowly over first year I started wearing like more comfortable clothes in second year I like wore sandals to school every day you know I just <laughs> I wore shorts all the time like I always had t-shirt I walk into a lot of meetings and just like t-shirt and shorts and you know so it, it progressed all over time but uh clinically I I've I've been a little bit more like I've just gone with I typically go with a, a like a golf shirt type thing like I'm I'm like a, a couple buttons and like a t-shirt so I'm a little risky in that or risque or whatever in that uh way yeah yeah but I think you're good 
people do it differently so and i think i think the advantage is that people see that you're approachable and that you take like things like hierarchy or like professionalism more in like a casual way and i think at the end of the day it's more your behavior that should tell more about your um professionalism or your identity than the way you dress <laughs> yeah the only the only i've only gotten in trouble once and it was because I didn't wear a white coat to the ER, not even to internal or like something like that. But one time I, I didn't wear a white coat to the ER and and I got in trouble. Like I called out the guy like wanted to send me back and I was like, I don't have my white coat. Like I can't. Do you want me to go home oh and get gosh. it? You know, so eventually he just let me wear scrubs, uh, which is kind of like an interesting. I can't wear like dress clothes, but I can wear scrubs, I, I, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. But anyway. And I was shadowing, not like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, we have a lot of uh, interesting stuff with with white coats. So I, I guess I'd be curious to hear kind of how, what the white coat perspective is for you at McGill. And then I have a story. So for me, regarding white coats, you know, I, I understand that there's kind of like a big deal that's made out of it. We have our white coat ceremonies and it's meant to symbolize our transition to clinical settings and how we're like getting closer and closer to becoming doctors. Obviously, I try I try to verify before starting a rotation whether I'm expected to wear a white coat, especially in COVID times where it can mm-hmm. be like a vector of like transmission. Um, so I try to do that and I then like kind of base off on their answer to decide whether I should wear it or not. If they're like, oh yeah, you definitely should. It's the way we, it's what we use to recognize you. Otherwise we kind of don't understand why you're here. <laughs> like fine. Yeah, for sure. I'll wear it with a name tag and everything. And like the perk is that it has pockets, right? <laughs> so as girls, yeah, like, yeah. We, totally. we need those pockets. <laughs> but otherwise, if they're, if, if either they're indifferent about it or if even they, if they even like kind of discourage you from doing it because it can kind of act as a barrier in your interactions with patients, then I for sure will uh, leave it at home and just show up uh, in my dress clothes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask the follow-up that you know is coming because this <laughs> is take two, but do you, uh, what, what do you think about stethoscopes around the neck and how do you guys approach that? Stethoscopes around the neck. I, Again, that's very dependent on the rotation I'm on and whether I actually need it or not. Mm, Like I was saying how like, you know, right now I'm doing ER. So for sure I'll have my stethoscope around given like doing a cardiac and resp exam is kind of the basics. Mm. But before that, I was doing my my clinical allergy and immunology rotation. And like, you know, I, I definitely wasn't carrying my stethoscope around my neck because first of all, it was telemedicine because of COVID. <laughs> so I think it would have looked a little weird if I had a stethoscope, like if I was walking around um, the allergy clinic with my stethoscope on. And also second of all, like you can't, you can't detect an allergy with a stethoscope, unfortunately. So another reason not to wear it but me speaking about how the expectations vary in different rotations has made me realize how that also applies for the white coat so you know on rotations like on rotations like psychiatry where there's already kind of like a power differential between doctors and patients like we are for sure discouraged from wearing a white coat given it can act as a barrier and that also goes for um things like like rotations kind of like peds you know where kids are already so terrified of showing up to the hospital like they don't need that extra layer of stress but yeah I've like for sure there are other rotations where they're more conventional and strict about it like I think the one rotation where I was really expected to wear my white coat would have been um, internal medicine and that was yeah that was one of my first rotations but after that it was pretty much um pick and choose decide on the context yeah yeah, so I, I find it really interesting because we, in first year, we were taught like very explicitly that we should not wear a white coat. Like we had, it was in lectures and, and everything like, you know, it's bad. It's don't wear it. And then, um, and so then the question is, you know, what do you do with your stethoscope when you, when you don't have pockets and like, what do you do with it? And so then everybody wears them around their neck. And then we start going to clinical skills and we have sessions and people start getting in trouble. And there, there, I remember a couple of occasions where we got sat down like very seriously by the preceptor. And like, he, he took us and like paused if her patient was there and, 
you know, told us to sit down and like, he had some new, something to talk to us about and called people out. And he was just so upset that we wore our stethoscopes around our neck. Uh, and he talked, he's just like, this is very, you know, it's unprofessional and it's a power dynamic and it's a power move and all these other things. And we're like, oh my goodness, like, we didn't know, like, what do we do? Where do we put our stethoscope? We don't have, you know, you can't put it just like in your pocket. So, um, and you can't always carry it because you got other things and, you know, anyway. Um, and then the interesting thing with that is, you know, when you bring that up or when we went on the wards with him, he got mad when we didn't have a white coat. And so it's, it's kind of like an interesting thing where, um, everybody has like different, um, beliefs or thoughts about what is and is not professional. And it's, it's often really hard to, to navigate those and, and figure out what, you know, is, um, ideal. Just like what I mentioned with the ER is we were told explicitly not to wear white coats in the ER. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got there and this one guy is like, you have to, you have to, it's so unprofessional if you don't wear a white coat. And I'm just like, what is going on? You know, (laughs) this isn't my fault. They told us not to. So anyway, um, I, I find that quite, uh, interesting. Yeah. It's always like, this makes me think about how like you, trying to figure out who to listen to is kind of part of trying to figure out how to navigate the hierarchy and who you should actually be um, referring yourself to. But as a rule of thumb, I, I try to check with the most senior person. And if that's the staff, then I will go with what the staff says. If it's the senior resident, I will go with what the resident says. I have one more quick comment. And then I, I kind of want to talk about like social media and stuff, but I'm curious have you run into issues with accidentally going over people's heads? It's an it's an interesting question for sure. So I'm going to have to like go back and think about rotations where like the structure is a lot more conventional. Because for the past year, like for my electives, I guess I've kind of been in rotations where it was more fluid and people were kind of more casual about it. I think for me, I think what really like faci- facilitated our lives is that usually we try to organize a group chat with everyone now like whatsapp is a very popular app in our clinical rotations where we'll add like the staff members we'll add the residents we'll add the fellows the students everyone so whenever i kind of have a question i'm unsure to whom i should be addressing it to i'll just like pop the question in a group and i will go with the first answer that comes up (laughs) and you know there's proof that you know I just listen to whatever came up. It's not, I'm not bypassing anyone. This is what happened, <laughs> you know? But otherwise, if I'm unsure about who I should, like if it's professional or not for me to go up to the person, I will just address it like um, straight on. I'll be like, hey, listen, I have this question. I don't know if you're the best person I should be talking to. If it's not, please like let me know who I should be uh, referring to instead. And then I just ask my question or talk about whatever I have to talk about. And that has been a pretty good trick for me. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, um, how, how do you feel about professionalism and, and social media? And how, how has that been impacted since you, uh, since you entered medicine? I'm trying to see if medicine has really changed the way I use social media. But I think even before entering medical school, I wasn't someone that, that was very like, public or anything like I only got Instagram I think like a couple of months ago and that was because I felt I felt really sad about missing out on the memes <laughs> only like 10 years behind no big deal um but yeah I, I don't necessarily I'm not very active I'm more of like a consumer of content you're a lurker I'm a lurker I like the way yeah, you yeah, put yeah. it I'm a I'm a little lurker so in terms of that I don't think it has like censored me or repressed me in terms of how I want to express myself but for sure obviously like I've gone through my profiles uh my profiles multiple times try to see mm-hmm. if there was anything like embarrassing I've like posted like when I was in sixth grade or whatever that I want to remove yeah, yeah. now especially with like residency applications coming up you know like yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have them evaluate me on my current personality rather than the whatever I said years ago and I also make it a habit to kind of regularly check my privacy settings but otherwise, yeah, I don't feel too limited. Do you feel like you changed your behavior leading into medicine? Like when you knew where you were applying? Kind of like how you, you talked about you were looking through your profile for 
uh, residency? Did you do the same thing pre-med? Well, that like kind of verifying process, regular checkups I was doing throughout med school. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know. <laughs> um, whether I was doing it even before med school, that's a good one. I think maybe, but maybe not as frequently. Mm-hmm. I wasn't as nervous, I guess. I wasn't as scared as now wondering whether like a resident or a staff evaluating me might like kind of end up finding my profile and finding something they don't like. But it, it's so easy to take a comment from like five, ten years ago and way out of context that just like, you know, yeah. I'm sure I have said nothing compromising or like, well, I hope so. But as like everything can be misinterpreted nowadays, right? So, so you're gonna go scan all your social media after we finish, right? <laughs> after this episode, just I'm gonna... <laughs> scroll back to like the first time, first thing you posted ever. Um, but yeah, going back, whether I've done it before med school, I would say not as often, not as often for sure. What about you? Yeah, so I I guess I've always been fairly careful about stuff, like what I put on social media and whatnot. But I definitely ramped up in the first year or so, the year before, as I was applying to get into medicine. And my my number of posts since entering medicine has like gone from some to basically none. You know, I think I've posted on Instagram like three times in the last two and a half years. So I've definitely cut down on that. And like I tried, I got Twitter last summer and I tried that. And like, it's so scary to me just like posting things on Twitter. And it's just like, I'm so paranoid because everybody jumps on everything on Twitter. And like, it's so hard to like keep up with if you're not checking regularly. And just like, I don't know. It's, uh, I find it, I find it hard. Uh, so I just don't, my, the result is I just don't post a whole lot. And I'm even hesitant sometimes to like, like things. Um, Mm -hmm. because it can show up and like, or even people tag you, I've gotten tagged in some like really weird (laughs) kind of like things where I'm like, Oh my goodness, don't stop. Don't tag me. Like send it to me on messenger. Don't tag me. This is terrible. But anyway, it's not, not that bad, but like some, sometimes there's like some. Oh, that made me think about something and just slipped my mind. Oh my God. Birthday posts. Oh my God, how like people have embarrassing pictures of you nice. and then they choose yep. to post them on your profile page the day of your birthday and you're like, no, <laughs> I'm yeah. friends with residents on my Facebook yeah. page. So yeah, it's, it's kind of tricky to balance this like more casual, quirky side of yourself with having to maintain more like a professional image. And I think that kind of leads me into the next question, which is like, have you have you kind of felt the need to have two separate social media profiles to kind of balance these two um, aspects? You know, I was going to say no, but actually in thinking about it, my, like when I made Twitter, I made it in more of a, um, I want to say professional capacity, not like professional because I'm not a professional, but like it, it's not, you know, I'm not going to post my like weightlifting videos. It's like when <laughs> I have Instagram, which is like weightlifting. And then I have Facebook, which is like basically just messenger for me and groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Twitter was kind of um, me just in med. You know, it, it, I don't have anybody else from outside of med following me or I wasn't following anybody except, except like pol- political accounts because like, I had to over the last year, I had to follow all the political accounts, follow what was going on. But yeah, I was going to say no, but so I don't have two separate of like one type of social media, but I definitely have different things that I do with my different accounts. Different purposes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For me, I think so far I've managed quite well to kind of balance these two aspects and have them work in harmony with the single profile I have I guess so I haven't felt the need to set like create another additional profile yet but as like as I advance in my career like hopefully getting matched and becoming (laughs) a physician it may it it may come up like I understand that you may not necessarily want like patients or kind of anyone finding you so I think that'll be an aspect to think about in the future 
Yeah, I find that interesting because I I have an interest in rural medicine. And um, next for clerkship, I'm actually going to a small town where I grew up or near near where it's like a little bit away, but uh, near where I grew up. And so I know a lot of people in the area and a lot of people know me uh, or my family. And there's a lot of people I have on Facebook that live in the area that like I already have them on Facebook. So we, I, it's not like I could hide from them. So it's kind of a weird dynamic. And you can't, I guess, in rural medicine, a lot of that stuff is is blurred because you can't you can't hide when you're in a town of, you know, 500 people. Right. It's just like everybody knows where the doctor's house is type of thing, just like social media. So challenging. Yeah. Right. So we've spoken a lot about how professionalism is affecting the way we use social media and particularly for me, how it has affected the way I carry myself on um, like uh, in clinical settings. I'm curious mm-hmm. about you, though, Lucas, like in terms of preclinical experience or, you know, I know you're very involved in like student life and student affairs. What do you have any other experiences that you want to bring up regarding policies? I mean, I have multiple, but I I do want to comment on just like the general um, idea of like emotions and, and, you know, trying to be or needing to be more stoic and and not react. And I've run into that sometimes um, where, you know, myself or other people were been particularly passionate about a certain topic and, and it hasn't been well received in advocacy work and how you need to be calm or well. I mean, obviously being calm is good. You don't want to just like yell at people, but, um, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a little bit more passionate about things. And the emotion side of things is, is also interesting. I don't have a clinical story, but I have a, a preclinical story, which is like making my, my hands all clammy, just like thinking about it. They're all like sweaty and stuff. So it was last year. So we have a, during pre-clerkship, we have what we call advanced communication. So we basically just have like a a topic where we go in and we see a simulated patient and it's all recorded and uh some of like classmates and instructors watch from another room and you go through like uh um whether it's breaking bad news you go in and tell somebody they have cancer or or, or whatever it is stuff like that anyway i had a session last spring and it was a, a cancer diagnosis or maybe it was uh think it was telling someone that their cancer had come back and it was worse uh, and it was like a lung cancer thing so I had to go in and talk to them and the person was like in their mid-60s it was an older lady and I came in and started talking sorry it's like it was like stressful moment for me this was fake but my it felt very real for me so like my mom had Mm -hmm. or had is in remission now but she had breast cancer and she was going she just finished treatment at that time or you know, a few months before that and had gone through all these things. And we had a lot of these conversations um, and I had to break the news to her. And the thing that she kept coming back to was like, she wanted to be there for her, her grandchildren and she wasn't going to be able to, because like at this point I was trying to tell her that, you know, she probably doesn't have more than a few months. And I actually started crying a little bit, like as I was talking to her and like in the thing. And then I, I paused and like, I, I panicked a little bit. Cause I was like, I was, I was crying like in, as I was interacting with her and I was like, okay, like I'm, you know, I'm sorry, like I'm, I'm tearing up, but I, you know, my mom went through, this is like, my mom has breast cancer or had breast cancer recently. And we went through something very similar. And it's just like, you know, I, I, I feel for you. Like my, my son or my, my children are the same age as your grandchildren. And it was a very real interaction for me. And it felt, it, it was really hard anyway. And it, we, we ended up finishing and I got through it, but I, I definitely cried a bit during. And then after we went and we got feedback and, and some of the feedback I actually got was, that I shouldn't have told them about my mom and they didn't, you know, they didn't think that was, you know, professional or whatever and didn't think it was appropriate. And it's just like, it, it hit me real hard. Like it, I actually just went and like, like I left, I left the session and I just went and like mm. cried in the hallway in the hospital in the basement for like uh half an hour. Like I, it, it, yeah, like, sorry, I'm, I'm like emotional about it, but it, like, it was really stressful. Um, and it's, uh, it was hard. Like I, I had that moment where it, it didn't feel, like I was being accepted for that, those emotions, and and that wasn't appropriate. It just wasn't something that I don't know. Challenging, anyway. Uh, I guess I'm not sure where to go with it. I'm just kind of oh rambling, God. but no, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. It's, it's no, definitely it's okay. very hard, and I, I find it unfortunate as well that sometimes, like depending on the context or depending who we're working with, sometimes our emotions aren't expressed as freely as we would have wanted them to be 
this like this topic of showing emotions or not or staying stoic or not kind of reminds me of a recent experience we've had as a graduating cohort when we were told that for the applications to family medicine we would need to like have our preceptors fill out this like reference form in in place of personal letters and i i just quickly went through the form and i saw that some questions like the the supervisors had to judge us or evaluate us basically on things like whether we've lost composure in our clinical rotations or whether we have like a high tolerance for working away from our loved ones and that i don't know not that like kind of like struck me wrong but it just made me reflect as to what type of physicians or what qualities they're exactly looking for by asking these questions like i myself have also cried plenty of times on clinical rotations especially my one during palliative like I was seeing this cancer patient as well and like I just started tearing up and like I think kind of like you I didn't know what to do whether I should leave the room or just like kind of sit down and cry with her (laughs) you know but I've gotten a really useful piece of advice from from the from the staff I was working with at that time and I got the chance to debrief with her address these things with her tell her how like you know despite coming from a culture an Asian culture where everyone is very stoic and kind of tries to repress their emotions i myself have grown to be a very sensitive person emotional i cry very easily i cry even when i'm mad like i cry for anything and she said you know it's it's okay to show emotions it's what makes you human it's what allows you to empathize with patients the only point she had to add is that as long as we don't kind of expect patients to like have to comfort us you know, kind of have that relationship flip back. She says it it should be fine. And that that piece of advice has been really useful for me and it has allowed me to embrace this part of myself a lot more. Yeah, yeah, that's actually, that's a really, uh, I like that. I think for me, the the thing that bothered me the most about that that whole like interaction was it improved, like we, we connected, like even though it was simulation, like we connected so well and like it was, you know, such a good interaction and we, we had such a good, like meaningful back and forth. And we, I actually talked with her uh, a bit after the session and uh, we had a good discussion and, and like, she really appreciated that interaction and it went well. So that's, that's what I had trouble with is like, you know, I, I, I don't think it, there's obviously situations if you just like, if they have to, you know, like you said, if they have to start consoling you, then it's probably not the best, but it, I think in a lot of cases it can really add to to the connection and and creating a much more real interaction with your patients and you can provide better care for them. So yeah, I I think there's there's value in in some and and being able to to connect and feel for your patients. So I I I know the letter you're talking about. We, there was a lot of like discussions around that and I I I know I made a tweet about it too. It was like when not that I've tweeted that many times, but I you know, I think that they they ended up clarifying and like some of the I talked to some of the people that had like worked on some of that. And the the impression I got was that the intention wasn't necessarily to shame, but actually to like in some cases, you know, know that, you know, you have that emotion. And, and so I think they're going to rework it completely. But there was a lot of discussions about how it wasn't necessarily meant to be taken that way. But uh, but it, but that's. But that's like where we are, right? Because generally when stuff like this comes up, we get get in trouble for it, not supported. So Yeah. Yeah. That firm definitely left a lot of space for misinterpretation. Um <laughs> yeah. but I'm glad they're uh I'm glad they've they've put that decision off to later and they're planning to rework on it. Um, okay, so so Corinne, I'm I'm curious to get your your thoughts on the the general approach to things like absence policies and you know if you're late or or if you have to take a day off and on short notice and you know the the professionalism concerns that are often raised around things like that or you know even as an example I know someone that fell asleep one time in a clinical skills thing and got written up for professionalism and it's just like uh, I'm I guess I'm curious to hear uh, your thoughts on all of this I have lots of thoughts but what do you how do you feel about all this I think what I myself have found difficult is the way it's so complicated to navigate the policies sometimes. Like 
if I fall sick one day, like, who do I talk to? What do I have to submit? What do, like, is there an algorithm for this? Like, you know, there's so many different steps to take and that changes uh, depending on the clinical rotation you're on. Like some supervisors will be fine with you just texting them and being like, hey, I, I can't show up today. Like, I hope that's okay. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, like, see you tomorrow. <laughs> Whereas on other rotations, if you don't like submit a request like days beforehand mm-hmm. and support, like, support that request with appropriate documentation it can for sure like lead you into some more trouble so i think i myself like before i start rotation i try to review what the specific policies are how i should be requesting an absence if i need it but aside from that like i haven't really had any experiences where i've gotten into trouble for it but my heart rate has for sure gone up a lot (laughs) whenever i think i'm gonna be late or whenever i I think I may have forgotten to submit documentation for a requested absence. But yeah, it definitely adds a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. I I, uh, I find a, a lot of this stuff, a lot of the professionalism policies and things like that often cause so much stress and like anxiety and uncertainty, whether it's stress that you know, you're going to get written up, like I said, for falling asleep, and it's going to end up on your MSPR as like a sanction or, you know, something like that, or you took a extra sick day or whatever it is. There's, there's just, there's so much anxiety and uncertainty that I, I don't think is is necessary. And I, I think a lot of that should come from like a different approach. I, I'm stealing the the phrasing, but I liked it when somebody described it to me as we, we should be considering ill before evil. You know, if somebody misses a day or has to take a day off, it's, you know, not necessarily because they're just being lazy and they want to take an extra day off or whatever, or 99% of the time it's not. It's just because, you know, something's going on and they need that time to to be well and to be okay. And I, I think too often we we jump to punishment when we should just be talking to people and, and checking in with them and, and trying to support or remediate depending on how far it goes instead. Mm-hmm. And this also made me think about like the uh, like the absences and leaves policies like in COVID context. Mm-hmm. Like for sure, I've spoken to so many different people who like their first reflex, like when it, when they were faced with the possibility of like getting COVID or getting sick, their first thought was, "Oh my gosh, will I will I meet my rotation expectations? Will I will I fall into trouble?" Instead of just thinking about their health first which I find kind of unfortunate. Um, so so for sure, it rearranges the way we we approach these things and the way we care, like rearranges our values and priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, the the fear. It, it drives us. And I, I feel like we could create, uh, you know, a little bit safer environments for people where they don't have to worry about, well, it, it, whether it's professionalism or, or wellness or, or whatever it is, that, you know, they're not always being judged. Okay, well, I, I think I'm good. Unless you have anything else to add, Corinne, I think we can probably end off there. So uh, thank you to everyone who, who tuned in to listen and, and hear our stories. If you have any thoughts or uh, want to, or shared experiences, feel free to, to tweet at us. I may or may not respond because I have not used my Twitter lately. Um, but feel free to send us an email or find us on social media and uh, tune into our our last episode that's coming up soon. Thanks, everyone. If you would like to reach out, our email address is ldtbpodcastcommittee at gmail.com. We would like to thank the CFMS, our production team, co-hosts, and other members for making this podcast possible.